Welcome everyone to the Toward Wholeness Podcast. This is where you'll find next steps that you can take toward wholeness in spirit, soul, and body. My name is Richard Dahlstrom. I'm the host of the Toward Wholeness Podcast. And uh, last time we were together, uh, I produced for you a video on the YouTube channel called Spirit, Soul, Body Wholeness about finding your calling. If you don't know it yet, you can go back and find that video. There will be a link in our notes. Uh, But in that video, I offered the thesis that all of us are made with these unique gifts through which God's desire is that we are able to bless the world. Everybody is uniquely made to do something that blesses this broken and thirsty and hurting world. And I use my dog, Silver, who's a mini husky, as an example. He's made to pull, and you can go back and watch that and see what we had to learn there. But it's important that we move beyond the animal world and really talk about flesh and blood humans and how flesh and blood humans find their unique calling. And so today, I'm honored really to have a guest with us. His name is John Carrington. He's the principal harpist for the Pacific Northwest Ballet Orchestra. He's a member of the Auburn Symphony Orchestra and the Saratoga Chamber Orchestra. And along with his professional playing as a musician, he maintains an active teaching studio in Seattle. So uh, welcome, John. Thanks for taking the time to have this conversation about finding calling. Well, thank you, Richard. I'm really pleased to be invited to be part of the conversation. It's kind of hard, actually, to find a time to do this with you because you, as a harpist, are in high demand. Often you're telling me about the next concert you have to go to or the next chamber orchestra event. So I'm grateful that you took the time. I want to now just ask some questions about calling. But uh, the first question is pretty basic. How did you find your calling? And to answer that, uh, you know, just you can go back as far as you want into your childhood. But I have tried to help people see that calling is your gifts and your context. So you now find yourself as a principal harpist in a particular orchestra. Take us back and share with us the journey that brought you to that calling. Yeah, a lot of people are curious on, you know, why I chose the harp. Sometimes I wonder if the harp actually chose me. Mm. Um, Some of my earliest memories are being in church. Probably, I'm not sure if it's three, four, five years old, certainly. Mm where we had a harpist play every week in church. Her dad was the art organist and he owned a music store and his daughter, you know, young daughter had this harp and she'd play along with the hymns and that. So I can remember, you know, sitting as a young child in these two hour services and just kind of looking up front and seeing this beautifully curved, you know, Mm. instrument and wanting to go up there, I was probably a little hyperactive too, you know, (laughs) wanting to strum those strings and run my hand over it. But it was always like a very early fascination with the harp. Hmm. Um, The speaker covers on each side of the, you know, on each side of the platform were uh, harp lyres that were artwork in churches. You know, and I certainly remember Bible stories of King David playing the harp and Mm -hmm. um, and that. And so, I mean, the harp was very early memories, like seeing one and and being very attracted to it and wanting, you know, to touch it. Music in my family was uh, we owned a clarinet. And so I grew up in the Seattle public school system. So uh, in third grade, 
we were offered, you know, letters to the parents if we wanted to be involved in music lessons. And so the night my sister graduated from Ballard High and played Pomp and Circumstance in the band, she came home and handed me the clarinet. So <laughs> I had one choice of instrument. Interesting. And so I started out, you know, on the clarinet um, and kind of migrated to the oboe in junior high because our junior high school owned one and no one was playing it. And I was playing in the youth symphony divisions mm. and um, the harpists started, you know, coming in mm -hmm. and I was just kind of rekindled my fascination with that. Once again, the same church, we, we must have been heavy with harpists, but there was uh, another family um, involved with music in the choir and their daughter played the harp. And so I started hanging out with her to do oboe harp duets, but really just to get near, you know, that harp yeah. and that. And so uh, when a harp came available in the paper and it was like in Tacoma through a Seattle Times ad, <laughs> little tiny lap harp for a hundred dollars, you know, mm. and I called this family up to see what they felt about that. Mm -hmm. And they, they said, I'm going to think about it and call you back in a few minutes. Hmm. And so they called me back and they said, you have a talent for music and a desire for the harp and we have a student model harp and we're going to get it restrung and bring it over to you next week wow. and we've got you set up with private lessons with the harp teacher at the university of washington what and if you can't afford it we're going to pay for it because <laughs> god just told us to do this for you just spoke to us and, and we want to support that's you know. amazing and so it was like, yeah, this lightning strike and, uh, and my teacher at the U, she usually required a couple of years of piano background, which I didn't have. Mm -hmm. So I was on a three month trial Okay. and I didn't want to get dropped. So I practiced and worked really hard, but I loved it right away from the start. Right. Right. Um, and yeah. so that was kind of how it That's amazing. came about through. And this family was, I mean, it was like a, a good backstory there because the mother was raised in the depression mm. and they couldn't afford music. Yeah. And she swore that when she was, you know, a mom or that her kids would have every opportunity with music. So That's there were amazing. five kids. Each one of them did three musical things like violin, trumpet, saxophone, or harp, piano, voice. They were all musical. And so she extended that to me kind of as, you know, a surrogate adoptive, you know, kid, I'm going to help out with music. That's really remarkable. So uh, first, just an observation, the gift that you have for playing the harp, really, it's not overstating to say, in a sense, the harp found you. But the means through which the harp found you was certainly that inward draw, but also there were people involved. In other words, there's like, it takes a village, right? And so there were, there were people who spoke into your life, who encouraged you. I know that's been true with me discovering my own gift of teaching. And I'm sure if we thought about other people in our lives, many people who kind of have this assurance of their calling can point to other people who spoke into their lives as well. So other people spoke into your life regarding the gift of playing the harp, and that's your giftedness. And if I've defined calling a little bit as gift and context, your gift of harp playing has put you in many different contexts. Can you just talk a little bit about that journey and how you ended up with the Pacific Northwest Ballet? Well, I did my undergraduate degree with Pamela Vokalek, my teacher at the University of Washington. 
And she taught me for eight years. And then I went on to get my master's degree with her teacher at the Cleveland Institute of Music, Alice Shalafu, who was the second female in a U.S. orchestra. <laughs> she encountered all sorts of discrimination wow. being, wow. you know, a trailblazer in Cleveland Orchestra. And her friend Edna Phillips was the first woman and she was the harpist for Philadelphia Orchestra. So oh, I wow. have met both of them. Yeah. And I also went on to a summer um, festival, Tanglewood, mm -hmm. with the Boston Symphony. And so my teacher there was the first African-American woman in, in oh, wow. the symphony. So yeah. Um, yeah. I kind of had some strong uh, female trailblazers. Absolutely. You know. um, but I went on with Alice Shalafu and got my master's. And when I came back to Seattle, the current Seattle Symphony Harvest of the time had just resigned. Hmm. And they needed somebody to fill in. So, you know, a door opened there to kind of fulfill my dream of, oh, I get to play in my hometown. That's right. Symphony, you yeah. know, and that. So yeah. that was, you know, as a substitute or an extra player, as we call it. But it helped establish a lot of my contacts for right. being a freelancer in town. Okay. Um, so not a full contract, but, you know, getting hired and known for gigs or playing right. with choirs and right. other area orchestras. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if, if it's for a church or a wedding or a memorial service or a reception mm -hmm. or whatever, you know, all that kind of work. Yes. And um, so that was a good contact. And the contractor that hires for a lot of the movie soundtrack commercial work in town and video gaming was in the symphony. And so that's how okay. he discovered me and was very loyal and always hiring me for. So you've these. played for movies and that kind of thing. Right. Yeah. About 300 motion pictures. So oh things goodness. from, I think the earliest project was Mr. Holland's Opus oh, great. with Richard yeah. Dreyfus, which was yeah. a great movie to be in, you know, about As a music and music That's education right. in exactly. the schools and, yeah. and, um, you know, and it's, it's just gone on from there up to, I, um, recently did a documentary about the automat restaurants in New York and Philadelphia that ran for decades. Wow. And it was, pretty fascinating to see that. I'm, I'm really happy with some of the documentaries. I did one that's really meaningful to me that's about the kinder transport. Oh, yeah. Um, that right. was a Shoah project documenting. Incredible. And yeah. this was 5,000 children, mm. German children, or Jewish right, children right. in Germany that's that right. were sent on trains yep. to um, Great Britain. Yep, I know it. Yeah. And, um, and just adopted by families there. Yeah, and many of their parents never survived. That's right. And some that did, you know, it was like five years later when they yes. saw them and, yeah. and they were kind of caught between two worlds of who's my family. But wow. I just remember I had a very good feeling playing. That was a small group of instruments. And yep. uh, when yep. we went in to hear some of the um, takes during the break, you know, we couldn't even hear the dialogue. We just saw the scene with the music and everybody was choking up. Incredible. And it did win um, Academy Award that oh, year for wow. Best Documentary. But That's um, remarkable. So I always feel like, yeah, I played in some films and sometimes yeah. you never know if it's going to be a horror film or low budget <laughs> or whatever, but something like that I feel would super some stand see, out. exist beyond, you know, me as far as something I participated well, in. Well, and it's beautiful too it's a bit of a window into how your giftedness has kind of broadened and opened your world, which often when we're using our gifts, 
that happens because if our gifts are blessing others, then we meet people who are the recipients of that blessing and then their world rubs off on ours and we grow and we learn and that's yeah, and music really uh, brought me to where literally I did not mention that in 2002, I got a, like a one-week call. Can you join Cunard, the Queen Elizabeth II's world cruise as the solo harpist <laughs> and just travel <laughs> well, the world for half a year? Yeah. And you know, it was rainy and winter and drudge in Seattle. And I'm just like, can you be in LA next week? <laughs> and we're going off to the sunny southern hemisphere. And, wow. and so we went to 40 ports of call. And I mean, visiting other cultures like that. Yes, that's right. You know, we might be in a spectacular, beautiful, you know, beach place like Morea or Seychelles Islands. But yes. then we were also in Mumbai. Right. And we were visiting the public laundry and um, wow. the, the markets and, you know, walking around town with people coming up to, you know, just begging for anything. And uh, they, they were very aware that the QE2 was coming for mm. its once a year cruise with well, the millionaires all on board. Yeah, yeah. And this was your day or two, you know, to really wow. uh, be around in, in that. So we, we would hit so many different sites and spectacular things, but it gave me a, a worldview and, and it wasn't oh, yeah. all glitz and glamour, you know, we, we went to some third world ports and things mm. like that. So wow. it really opens up your eyes. So we have these gifts, we use them, but then in, in the using of the gifts, our world is, is changed. Our view of the world has changed because we encounter things that we would never have encountered had we not found our gift and used it. Now, I want to segue into kind of this other challenge that anyone who is gifted faces. And to do so, I'll just reference uh, my daughter, who owns a bakery, and my son, who owns a coffee shop in Leavenworth. Both of them are truly gifted in both the preparation and presentation of food. And as an outsider looking at that, I find that amazing because if I make you a cup of coffee, I can, I can do that. And if I get some training, I can put some art into the crema on top, right? Mm -hmm. As I add the cream. But after the third one, I'd be bored out of my mind and I'd be like, what's, okay, what's next? And my, my son does that for, you know, years and years, it's going on eight years now in Leavenworth. My daughter with her bakery here presents, a, a, you know, a Danish role. Again and again, not one, not a hundred, but over the time, 10,000. And I think people don't often realize that music is in the same vein, right? You play the Nutcracker and, and so you learn it and then you play it again and then you play it again. And now you've been doing this for 20 years and you've played it, I don't know how many times, but the way gifts work best is if we bring our whole self to it every single time. I don't know how many sermons I've preached, but I'm sure it's in some number of thousands. And it can be challenging to go, okay, again, here we go again, again, again. So talk to me about how you, if, if you have this gift and you have fanned it into flame, so to speak, how do you keep the fire going when it's just another nutcracker? It's just another concerto. It's just another symphony. How, like, how do you maintain the joy and presence in the midst of it? Mm, that's a good question. And 
I have a lot of Harpist colleagues, ones that I went to school with that I felt were just as deserving and talented as I was. But, you know, part along with your training and your contacts is getting the breaks. Mm -hmm. And so I entered, you know, into a time when I got some opportunities. And so I always kind of feel grateful that I'm able to make mm -hmm. my living doing mm -hmm. what I enjoy because the old saying, you know, find something you like to do and you never have to work another day in your life. But there <laughs> is this repetitive thing with shows like this and, mm -hmm. and with, uh, with Pacific Northwest Ballet, we do 40, generally about 40 Nutcracker shows. So wow. I think before playing that 20 some years with them, I subbed many times with them and did it five years with Tacoma Ballet. And I mean, I've, I think I've, I'm way up in the 800 numbers in the performance of it. But our founding conductor, Stuart Kershaw, once said, you know, to the orchestra, you know, just remember there's people in the audience paying a ticket or a child seeing this for their first time. That's right. And so we have to keep that freshness going for them. Yes. And, you know, and sometimes I would look up out of the orchestra pit and under the little curtain, I'd see a pair of patent leather shoes or a little tiara <laughs> sticking up over the railing, looking down. And it just reminds me, there's somebody here enjoying their first cultural arts experience. Right. And, right. Um, and then also in that show, I have one of our most famous orchestra excerpts in the cadenza at the Waltz of the Flowers. Right. So I don't take that for granted. I have to get make sure that harps in tune if some strings have broken and are pulling to pitch, you know, and, right. and as soon as you go on autopilot, as soon as something That's happens, when something bad is going to happen. And as a freelancer, as a musician, you know, sometimes you're only as good as your last performance. Mm -hmm. So you want to give it, you know, your 100%. And when you turn on snooze or try to do that autopilot, uh, not a good idea when you're in the spotlight. <laughs> there's a there's a harpist's journal of some sort, I know, a trade journal. Mm -hmm. And you wrote a an article you shared with me about how that was driven home in one particular form performance. Can you just share that story? Yeah, that's right. That was um, the end of this last season, Nutcracker. So it was on the final day. And so mm -hmm. we're all exhausted. And, you know, some of the players are sitting around with ice bags or oh, a massage wow. machine. Yeah, and they've got yeah, yeah. their Advil. And, you know, <laughs> and it's a lot um, for double shows a day like yeah. that. And, and we do quite a bit after Christmas. We do, mm -hmm. we get Christmas Day off, but then we usually play the 26th, 27th, 28th, double shows, double yep. shows, less yep. time in between them. Wow. Um, and so, and the houses are packed because people got tickets for yep. Um, for the holiday and yeah. they have that week off. So wow. that's the time when we can have a little bit of extra burnout and it snowed. Yes. Here. Yes. And so here, you know, I, I forgot to get my car out of the gravel driveway. So I'm trying to get the car out of the gravel driveway and it's sliding back and I'm throwing the emergency brake on and then I'm trying to get out of the car and I fall and smack right on my shoulder and I'm like, I can't mm. believe I have mm. to play today, you know, and I, I get a ride <laughs> down to the hall with somebody with four by four and, um, you know, I was just sitting there. I get there early to tune in quiet. Mm-hmm at at least the half hour or so. And some of the dancers sometimes are still warming up on stage and I just quietly start tuning in. And I heard a little voice. It said, I've never heard a harp life before. Mm. And it was um, somebody up 
in the audience looking over the orchestra pit. Yeah, so they're kind just, of looking down on they you. They just yeah. opened the house, yeah. And uh, she was with her mom, and so I just kind of did a little quip like, well, let me take that off your bucket list. And I played an arpeggio real quick in the chord. And the mother said, well, you know, coming today is on my bucket list because I have cancer, mm -hmm. and we drove here an hour in the snow, mm -hmm. and I'm so excited to be here. You know, I, I'm not supposed to be here next year. Mm. Um, and with COVID closures, this was it. Mm. And um, that just kind of stopped me in my yeah. tracks because things just got real serious and real. Right. And uh, my own sister had died of cancer in her early 30s mm. and her birthday is December 20th. So mm. it's always kind of oh, a little wow. bit of a reminder, even yeah. if I forget the date. Yeah. Emotionally, something will be going on and I'll think, well, why, why is this going on today? And I'll remember mm. it's the 20th. Wow. Um, so, yeah, it was just to talk to them and um, have this conversation. And I was like, what can I possibly do to help? You know, you want to mm -hmm. help them. Your heart right. goes out. And I said, well, I have a solo in the Waltz of the Flowers today and I'm going to dedicate it to and be thinking of you while I play that. Wow. And and they were just like all cheers and like, mm -hmm. okay, well, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. And yeah. you know, you want to say, yeah, you too. But then it's like, well, it's probably not going to be a Happy New Year for yes, them. That's and right. so I just, you know, I we had talked a bit. She had faith in God, but it really, the doctors, what they told her, she would have to have a miracle in that. So mm -hmm. I just, you know, kind of gave them a blessing and said, good luck on your upcoming journey this year and that and stuff. But it's kind of, you know, the glib responses of thanks for coming or, you know, wow. or out the window and you just have to like be in that moment, you know. So then when you played, were you thinking of her and how did that play I out? I was and um, I didn't say anything to my colleagues because I was just kind of stunned a bit by, about it. After the show, they were like, John, you played that cadenza so beautifully today mm. or that, you know, but doing it for her, you yeah, know, and I had yeah. a motive and, you know, when you're yeah. on your last, you know, on your last day, you can be kind of like, this That's is right. another paycheck, another job. Yeah, yeah. I can't go home between shows because of the snow and I'm going to be down here and I'm worn out and let's just get this through. And then all of a sudden, you know, it's not only the people that might be experiencing the show for the first time. This was somebody in the audience that's experiencing it for the last, the last time. time. And you never know who you're touching, who that's you're, right. who's out there listening, what yeah. they're going through. Yeah. I've had family members get engaged at the Nutcracker at intermission. Mm -hmm. I've had different experiences. I, I mean, I play so many different shows with the ballet, but the Nutcracker seems to be this catalyst for things. Mm -hmm. um, I have a student right now that's 12, mm -hmm. and she studied for six years with another teacher. Mm -hmm. But it was just a little while ago, her mom goes, you know, you're her inspiration for the harp. And I mm -hmm. said, how so? And she said, I brought her to Nutcracker when she was three or four years old. And when you played your solo, she just stood up on her chair and started air harping. Oh, my goodness. And from then on, all she talked about was wanting to play the harp. Incredible. So when she became six, we said, you want to play violin? You want to play piano? No, I want to play harp. So she goes, she's so excited to be studying with you today, but this is why. Amazing. And I would have no idea no, that I would yeah. have an effect yeah. on somebody like that. So you never know when you're doing, you know, your job, 
in doing it to the best of your abilities, who right. you're affecting, you know, that ripple in the water that Precisely. can go far beyond we'll ever know in this life. Well, my one of my favorite books in the Bible, Ecclesiastes, not only says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, which is the story you just shared, but it also says, keep sowing. Sow your seed in the morning, sow your seed at night. The paraphrase being, you really don't know the impact. I mean, my friend Dan over here in the corner, um, I was just up in Canada last week, and I was speaking to a group of pastors, and one of them said, you know, Richard, uh, years ago we went online, and we downloaded the Identity in Christ material, and we use it to meditate every morning, and that meditation has seen me through the dark times of COVID. And I go, wow, so uh, a sermon, a creative team creating it, a tech team putting it up online, everybody touching it, and never knowing that there's some guy in northern Saskatchewan somewhere who's super depressed, but he downloads this thing and God uses it to sustain him. So that's kind of the encouragement of the of the moment here is each of us have gifts. And when we when we use the gifts that God has given us in the context where God has placed us, we can just trust that the results are going to be there and we don't have to see them because the joy can be found in just using the gift. So, John, I want to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule as a performer and a teacher and one who has to continue to practice as well. I know you have a concert coming up. Thanks for taking time to be with us today and talk about calling and context and reminding us that when we're using our gifts in the context that is right, amazing things happen. Other people are blessed and we're transformed. So may everyone listening also find the next step toward calling this has been the Tort Wholeness Podcast. I'll look forward to being with you again next time. Thank you.